Welcome to another free episode of Consensus Unreality. Before we get to the show, here's a brief reminder to check out patreon.com slash consensus unreality. It's where we host our regular exclusive episodes and written content, our full episode archive, and a private Discord server. Um, So check that out for just $5 a month. It's the best way you can support the show uh, if you enjoy what we do. Um, Check that out, patreon.com slash consensus unreality. Now enjoy the episode. Uh, welcome to an episode of Consensus Unreality. This is uh, one of our first interview episodes in quite a while. Uh, we're here today with Brad Abrahams, uh, the director of uh, probably most famously uh, Love and Saucers, but also uh, Do You See What I See, the great uh, short doc about David Dees, the uh, conspiracy artist um, of the world. I don't know, <laughs> the best one. <laughs> and uh the most infamous, Among other things, sure. yeah. yeah. Most infamous, that's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just watched that last night. I had no idea. That, yeah, that was awesome. Um, he didn't look like what I expected him to. Mm. Um, so I thought we could sort of get started on this interview. I just wanted to ask, like, how you got into all this stuff. It's maybe a simple question, but I feel like it's always a good story. Yeah, I've I've tried to pinpoint it, um, and it was it was only when... I was doing research for, uh, I have a podcast miniseries right now called The Spectral Voyager, and I was doing an episode on premonitions, mm-hmm. um, and I stumbled upon those old Time Life uh, Mysteries of the Unknown oh, yeah. uh, books commercial from, it's like the early 90s or something, late 80s, early 90s, and was like, oh, I, I saw this as a like a very young child on TV, and now I remember that this is what started it all for me was like, I kind of was entranced by the commercial. I begged my parents to get like a few volumes of the series. And one of them was like psychic voyages and um, probably a UFOs one ancient mysteries. And that just sort of started it off. And I don't, I don't remember. I was like, I don't know, eight or nine or something. I think when (laughs) that began. That's so awesome. That's funny. I love those. It's it's like Camille Flammarion or something is like one of the big, um, premonition makers and one of those i feel like which is kind of like yeah it's remembering back on that Mm. but uh yeah those are wonderful i think kind of yeah the influence for us probably comes from like tv and media and stuff as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then and then the more kind of modern conspiracy subject uh it it was probably robert anton wilson Mm. for sure Um, maybe reading cosmic trigger for the first time and or one of the others, but then getting me thinking about the, you know, real real conspiracies and um, also ways of thinking about it psychologically, too, and totally. magically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cosmic trigger. Um, mm. What is the one? He get, this one where he gets really into James Joyce, which I found like really influential. I think it's called uh, Coincidence or something. It's about yeah. like a yeah. Um, yeah, Wilson was pretty big for me, and I think mm. Dave too. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's such a good uh, like gateway person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, he was a conspiracy theorist, but not of any sort that you would think of today. Yeah, there's right. that like element of exploration, reality mm-hmm. tunnels, and kind of 
the open-mindedness of it and not yeah. really like giving your soul to a whole conspiracy, right? Or something. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously lampooning it all. Yeah. 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 Too. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that uh, interests me about your documentary work is I feel like you're sort of interacting with these characters who have this sort of magnetic or like an aura that like makes, I feel like a lot of people want to like give to them and like believe in them and sort of like mm. let, let them in like this, like uh, even in like maybe a mundane or sort of like uh non harmful way, like with, <laughs> with Huggins or like mm. the more like insidious stuff that uh, David Dees is doing. How, how do you like, how do you kind of interact with those people uh, without doing that? You know? Yeah. I, I, it's a, it, there's a calculation that goes on when I'm, I'm first interacting with them. Like Huggins, I got to meet, I got to have a lot of phone calls with and then actually meet in person first, but um, they have to have, uh, it's important for the audience to connect with them. If you're going to, you know, tell their story and especially a nuanced story and, something that's potentially controversial. So they're, you know, they have to be likable on some level. Like you have to want to spend time with them. Like I, you know, I'm fine with spending time with someone um, that I don't like or isn't likable on any level, but an audience, you know, I think it's kind of important, especially if you're, if you're not trying to just like totally break someone down. Yeah. Um, So I do, I do make that, that sort of calculation where it's like, is this, you know, is this someone that I can actually um, kind of build up as a, as a human, even when I lead like with Huggins and D's and a lot of these things, I kind of lead with their most outlandish claim first and, and then work backwards and then kind of show like, you know, this is how they live. And, and you start to get an idea of the person that says those unbelievable things and then when they say them again you're you're then kind of viewing them from a different perspective Mm. Mm. yeah yeah that's so interesting i because i always feel that tension doing reading this kind of stuff or yeah interacting with it where i yeah you have to like bisect your mind a little bit so that you can Mm. to meaningfully interact with it you have to believe it to some extent otherwise Mm. it's like you know um it's dishonest to a certain extent but then if you fully believe in it it's yeah probably uh, that's yeah i mean that's not great either usually i think you just have to (laughs) the thing that you have to believe is is just that whoever you're um interacting with or deep diving on or telling their story uh, that they believe it Mm. like if you believe that they believe it then i think that's like as far as you need to go. So sure. if, if, oh. yeah, if you don't believe that, if you think they're just like a huckster or a hookster disingenuous, then that changes the whole <laughs> way of approaching them. Yeah. Like for our upcoming conspiracy documentary, I'm sure there's going to be some people that, that actually don't believe, cause there's a, you know, with conspiracies, there's um, a, a level of operation of the grifter, right? Who sure. is the completely disingenuous. Yeah. Absolutely. Theorist. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or, or they kind of got lost, like they believed at one point and then kind of got lost in the, in the capital along the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, kind of jumping forward a little bit, maybe in the structure of our questions <laughs> or something, but I think maybe it's a good time following that. Um, do you think that like um, fictions can be potent enough cultural objects that they can kind of manifest into the real, you know, like does a hoax 
become potent enough that it becomes well yeah i mean i don't know if you've been following the the most like ultra current um version of that was uh you know brace belden from true um have you been following oh, this, the like, burning man thing yeah that that you know he just seeded that there was ebola at burning man <laughs> yeah. and even though he's like a kind of a known uh like shit poster and hoaxer um yeah. still it, it it it's fooled like it's fooled this the the like conspirituality cult kind of for sure yeah and it's just been it's been spreading <laughs> like wildfire like ebola on Right. On social media and now like news stations are reporting on it and yeah. so that and it's kind of made it's kind of um it, it's done the same thing where it's worked people up into a frenzy and everyone's calling it like on you know uh, pandemic types are calling it um you know it's like pand covid 2.0 pandemic 2.0 is is happening like fema's oh. here and they might make it true mm-hmm. right it's like a an idea powerful enough that even like yeah it like wants to, uh, it wants to be believed almost. So people yeah. kind of, even if like the person, like even if he comes out and is like, I was joking the whole time, like yeah. you should know this, uh-huh. like it yeah. doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Which is kind of scary, I guess, but mm-hmm. interesting at least, right? <laughs> it, it seems like the, uh, like the kid gloves have been taken off X or Twitter at this mm-hmm. point, And like, it's very easy for things to be like gassed up even easier than it was like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, oh, but so I, free I, for all. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I, I guess that also plays into Huggins and stuff too, because I've heard you talk about him and, and the possible influence of like science fiction and stuff like that mm. and how there's kind of that retro causality um Mm. between truth and fiction and experience um and like people like whitley streber that's there as well of course um have you have you kind of considered that with like the whole phenomena and like the ufo thing and like obviously i'm sure you have like the potential that like this could have been some kind of like fictitious hyperstition or something that manifested and, or began as fiction and then became kind of some cultural snowball. Well, I think that at the core of it, that there is an experience going on. Uh, and that's the thing that I, I like don't think is fiction that there's an experience of some kind going on. Um, and then it's just a theory, right? That's that some people talk about that. I, I like it, that, that, um, the content of that experience that we remember is informed by, you know, the culture around us and the art around us. And so, you know, since the fifties onward, it's been technology and other life forms, you know, other planets and stuff. And before that it was, um, mystical experience and religious experience before like industrial age or high tech age. Uh, so I think like what, you know, Kripal, Professor Kripal said mm. from Rice University that that it's like a loop, you know, like the the science fiction influences the paranormal and the paranormal influences the science fiction and it kind of builds and builds and builds until maybe it just becomes the same thing. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, that's been my understanding is yeah. that I guess yeah, I guess feedback or something like that is kind of a good metaphor for it. Mm. Um mm. Yeah, do you like I was thinking about this weird distinction between like uh self delusion and faith when I was mm. watching some of your stuff, like mm. do you 
what do you think like the line is there? Obviously, like not I'm not talking about religious faith necessarily, although that yeah. does come into it, but these sort of people who have as you were saying, like it's sometimes unclear what they mm-hmm. really believe. Do you think that like faith plays a role in that? I don't know. I think well, there's the the I think this the sunk cost fallacy definitely comes into play where yeah. you know, if you've you've said the same thing for like 20 years that you've then lost those 20 years if you mm. <laughs> say that you were wrong. So I think that's maybe a part of it that's unconsciously at play. Mm. Uh, but someone like David Huggins, he would often just say like, you know, I'm not married to the idea that these are extraterrestrials at all. Like I, I don't know where they're from. Um, maybe they're not even like real beings as we know it. Um, they're inter- interdimensional or whatever. Uh, so I think he was kind of malleable with that. Aside from the fact that he was like, I know I saw these, you know, I saw these yeah. beings. Um, but, but David D's was different because, and some other people, because like he just, you know, there wasn't a single conspiracy that he didn't pretty much just believe like whole yeah. hog. Mm. And, and I, cause it was just part of his kind of brand and persona at that point. Yeah. Yeah, the scene where you're talking to him about like Sandy Hook and stuff is mm-hmm. fascinating because he doesn't seem like some like and this with Alex Jones it feels like it is like totally a digging into a brand or maybe something even more nefarious. But yeah, with these it almost felt like he wasn't like a bad person, but like there seemed to be this like split mm. where like he didn't think of that as like the possibility of people actually having die. Like he thought it of never, it as like a, yeah, a exactly. media event, right? Yeah, like, it didn't connect with him on that level partly just because he's been a hermit for yeah like decades and he's not really interacting with like i don't think he would like in a like close personal setting with strangers or other people i don't think he would actually um be saying that stuff um and there's there's this woman uh stephanie kemmerer who um she she runs a really interesting organization called doubt, which is discussing our unusual beliefs together and it's ex conspiracy theorists. Uh, and for her, she, she also was kind of falling down the Sandy hook hole. And what changed for her was she was at a, like some sort of social setting. She was like, and, and she said out loud, she was like, well, you know, Sandy hook was a false flag. And then someone at this gathering was like, well, actually I have like a relative whose, whose child died at the school and he definitely died he's dead now and she said like that was the moment for her where she was like oh you know this is this is like actually a real thing and um by saying these things i'm like devastating people who are already like further devastating them um so i think if he had had knowing him and knowing he was an empathetic guy if he had had an experience like that i think i just think like Mm -hmm. like it's there in the doc but just me being like a Jewish person hanging out with him um, was yeah. like great for him because he's mm. like, Oh yeah, you're kind of cool. And <laughs> yeah, that was a, a crazy <laughs> moment. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I obviously like people see his art. It's like, uh, it's like more than a meme, but yeah. it's, uh, and yeah, the, the Jewish part of it is like, it almost feels like uh, it's like, tacked on thing like he just has to put it in every single thing and so like 
it it does seem like someone who probably just hasn't had much exposure to anyone but himself or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was very sort of quick to walk that back, like in person. Yes. You know, mm. he's like, "No, I, 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 you know, I'm, I love Jews. I just don't like, you know, the bankers." And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so unfortunate. I don't think we're breaking any ground by saying that, like the uh, the barrier there, like in that experience of just like kind of all that screen time and no personal interaction mm -hmm. but it yeah that is so sad that like it takes so little to just sway that um kind of negative perseverance or something yeah i feel like you you feel that happen to yourself even like i mean anyone like if you just spend a lot of time alone like you start to you're not able to like understand how to like uh understand other people until you spend like five minutes with anyone <laughs> else and then you're like yeah. You're sort of back in the that that's why yeah. um the you know covid years um caused so many people to mm. fall down various rabbit holes in the whole conspirituality phenomenon that came out of that and it was all the isolation and echo chambers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um that reminds me of like uh, gaia do you have any thoughts on gaia tv right i mean i don't watch it um <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, it's in the quality of stuff on there now. I think at one point it was like when they started, it was a little bit higher, but now it's just like, it's just like bit shoot or gap, uh, yeah. you know, uh, rumble. Like it's, it's that level of documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I, I really admire your like ability to actually get out in the field. And I was mm -hmm. kind of curious, like, has there ever been an experience while filming that kind of like started to suspend your own disbelief? Uh, well, spend, spend my disbelief. Well, you know, I keep, I have like a space in, in my mind for like anything to be possible, uh, kind of on any level. So I, I'm not, I'm not like a total skeptic. I'm mostly a skeptic, but, but I'm still like, you know, like certain phenomena I actually do believe there's something to it. Like parapsychology i think there's definitely something to that um and and yeah probably in the ufo extraterrestrial world um but overall yes mostly a skeptic and, but i have not been really swayed um down a path that i hadn't already you know considered at any of these things yeah, yeah. there's certain like I don't know. There's there you'll you hear certain things. You're like, oh wow, that's interesting if true, and then you look it up, and invariably, it's yeah. not true. <laughs> so you mm. weren't like stalked by skunk ape. Well, no, no, not <laughs> not the skunk ape. But there was, you know, I went to Kripal at Rice University every year. Or he's only done it for two years, but he does. Um, it's his archives of the Impossible Conference, mm -hmm. and he invites. It's this mix, really great mix of uh, academics, writers, artists, and experiencers to talk about, like, talk about how we talk about the paranormal and the supernatural. Yeah. And they're like, I used to pretty much universally think like seances in physical mediumship was just like bullshit. And then, you know, one uh, journalist gave gave a presentation about her years kind of embedded with this certain physical medium in the UK and the sort of evidence she showed us. And 
and just her own personal account. And I, and that's like kind of has changed my mind that maybe something can, maybe something is happening during these seances. Like, like it's at least mm. my mind's open to it now. I don't necessarily believe it, but her account alone and, and some of the documentation that she showed and she was like shaking as she was presenting oh. this stuff because she also just didn't really believe it when she was getting Ooh. into it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of, I, I wanted to ask if you had ever had like uh, any kind of experience in that realm. Like, yeah, just, just like a psychic drawing exercise where mm -hmm. a, a close friend and I, we like went into different rooms and <laughs> he was to draw something and then like transmit it to me mm. and then I would draw it. And, and I remember I was like, close my eyes, scanned images the first thing in my mind was like a beach scene and I drew that out and then I was like, ah, that doesn't actually feel right. Closed my eyes again. And then I saw and drew this like blue 1950s car from a very specific angle. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I just wrote blue car cause I didn't have any like colored pencils. And then I showed him, we met back up. I showed him the beach scene. He was like, no. And then I showed him the, the car and then he like dropped his notebook and, and was like, Oh, that's exactly what I drew. And it was the exact same angle the same car he wrote blue car wow. as well and wow. said yeah. he'd only seen that image in a dream like years back and huh. and then so we're like wow we should try it was like a hundred percent hit and and so then we thought well we should try this again and we tried 10 more times and there was like zero uh uh hits Interesting. Was, yeah. yeah that's so weird there's something to uh -huh. that right like kind of the first time you open yourself up to a process like that it feels like it has more potency or something and then i don't know if that's just maybe like a gambling intuition or something like that. it's very <laughs> well known it's a very well known effect in you know, within psychic phenomenon that um, yeah. as soon as you're aware of it, yeah. it it diminishes or disappears almost completely which is very frustrating yeah it's it's strange yeah that I, I did that too. It was uh, it was based on uh, Rene Warcolier, uh was the guy who came up with at least some variation of that uh, transmitting a drawing from another room. Uh, mm. And I did that with like a group of people once a while back, and um, not every time, but often there was something to it. Like, mm -hmm. uh, but a hundred percent hit. At it. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I mean, maybe I am, or maybe there's some other person there that mm -hmm. I haven't seen for a while. Was good at it, and that's they took it with them. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think that like uh, that kind of thing is a skill, or like do you think it might be like it, it inherent? Seems, yeah, it seems like at least with remote viewing and some of the the psychic phenomenon, there's there's like a raw talent involved, but also mm -hmm. that most people can learn it to a degree. Cause there's all these remote yeah. viewing academies now and mm -hmm. people say they, they do learn it and they, they trained, you know, the Stanford uh, research Institute, like trained people for yeah. a couple decades to get better at it. But huh. yeah. there's, there is a, who's this person who's known as like the world's greatest living, most uh, scientifically tested psychic. Uh, and he lives at just a, a couple hours from where I live. And, um, his name's Sean Harabance. He's, I think, probably 90 mm -hmm. at this point. But this um, uh, professor of cognitive neuroscience in Canada, Dr. Michael Persinger, have you heard of him? Yeah. He, I don't know he, why, but... Because yeah. he, mm -hmm. he designed the God Helmet experiment. Oh, right. yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah, I was going <laughs> to yeah. ask you about that. Okay. Yeah, yeah so he, uh, he had Sean Harabance 
into his lab as, as, as well as like so many other educational institutions or academic institutions had studied him. Mm -hmm. Uh, and sometimes his, his statistical significance was like billions to one or trillions to one, but then other times it would just be like chance, but something Mm -hmm. was going on with him. And so he told me to go, Persinger told me to go visit Sean and just like see what I thought. And as soon as I walked into the room, into Sean's house, he just started telling me things about what's going on in my life, like immediately. Wow. And it was all true. Like it was just, it was just like all the events that were kind of leading up to that moment. And he just like, couldn't stop telling me them. Um, uh, and he has a certain brain disorder where, or brain damage or something where he has complete geographic amnesia. So if he, even just leaves his front door of his house, he's lost. Hmm. He won't be able to find his house. He won't be able to like turn around and know that that's his house. And he has what, when he's been studied, what seems like, yeah, traumatic brain injury or brain damage from when he was younger. Um, And that that might somehow be the reason for his seeming gifts. Hmm. But he has um, documentation, like official, he showed me like official White House um, correspondences that basically every and it's been it's kind of kind of known that nearly every past administration um use his services hmm. and so do heads of like certain military branches and i, I saw yeah. correspondence with him and bill clinton and stuff and this is stuff that's not like advertised it's just kind of yeah. known and i've had some confirmation because some of those same people have also uh, asked dr persinger for consultation hmm. um and the, he stopped with Trump, though. So he, he never consulted <laughs> Trump, apparently. But he had, he showed me, yeah, Cl- basically Clinton and the Clinton administration asked him for his projection on uh, like soybean uh, crop futures and like financial market stuff to do with soybeans. And then he would just give them a prediction. And, Interesting. And they would, yeah, act on it or not. Yeah. So they're using it to like <laughs> uh, mess with the stock market? <laughs> make, just make money? Yeah, yeah, right. That's, that's pretty interesting. I guess that's yeah. Right. That's what you would do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's weird. Uh have you seen this movie Red Lights? Have you ever seen that one? No. It's uh it's it's a weirdly stacked cast with uh Sigourney Weaver, Robert De Niro, and uh Cillian Murphy. Oh. It's it's from twenty twelve and it's a it's just about like this uh pair of like sort of skeptic professors Ooh, trying to great. Yeah, trying to disprove this, basically like an Uri Geller stand-in, um, which is Robert De Niro. And wow. I just want, I mean, it's not great. Um, it's a healthy 30% on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really fascinating that it's like so much about all this stuff, but I don't know anyone who's ever seen this movie. And like, it has all these famous people, but um, it's, it's exactly about like the, the ways people try to test um these abilities and like where that intersects with like, you know, faith in people and like hucksterism yeah. and that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was um, like the whole Princeton eggs, right? Like the random number generators and influencing that stuff was yes. like one of the means of testing parasite psychological mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, extra abilities. Um, did uh, you, did you do a piece on the, the God helmet? Um, I have, I didn't myself do a piece on it, but I have filmed with 
Dr. Persinger, oh, okay. before he died, uh, a friend and I, we were co-directing this project uh, and still might come out with this like episode about him, like a 10 minute sort of episode. Mm. It was about like Maverick kind of forgotten scientists. And, um, oh. you know, he's just been, he is the head of the cognitive neuroscience department, but since he has tenure and they can't really get rid of, or he had tenure, they couldn't really get rid of him. They just relegated him to the the basement and it was this dilapidated, like bombed out, crumbling basement that he had his lab in that he would go to work from like 2 a.m. to that's like awesome. noon the next day. Those were his hours. Wow, that's like too <laughs> perfect. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like uh, sounds like fringe. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Well, yeah. yes, it's actually, like yeah. And his yeah, his lab. It was just all this, and it was all of his scientific equipment was like from the 70s, <laughs> um, <laughs> mostly because he couldn't afford new stuff. But then he would he'd be like, no, all the old stuff is actually like better because it's not like he would just use these old um, IBM like 286 computers to run everything because he's like oh the new chips they like mess with the settings and he's he doesn't want to use mris because he can just use like you know eegs and, or whatever the oh. the yeah uh, forgetting all the terms but he he eschewed all of the like ultra modern science tech to do his very high tech uh experimentation wow weird did you ever mm. put on the helmet no he said the reason he even agreed for us to film with him was because we never mentioned the God helmet in any of our correspondences with him (laughs) because he's like, that's, that's all anyone wants to talk about. And we wanted to talk about other things as well. So when we finally, we were, we were like, can we, Hey, can we try it out? He was like, Oh guys, like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So fun. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone wants you to play the hits. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can just buy, there's a guy, I think he was a student of Persinger's who now um, builds and sells various helmets like these. Yeah, he has yeah. one called the uh, called the octopus that is much more powerful than the god helmet. <laughs> it's like strobes, yeah. right? It's it's a kind of no. It's well, I, in a, in a sense, it's because it's electromagnetic fields. It's not visual. It's just oh, okay. Yeah, it's just a weak magnetic field in certain areas of the brain. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's yeah, it's very low. It's actually kind of low tech in a way and he it was like a 70s ski helmet that he had these like electrodes coming out of and everything was duct taped and <laughs> yeah it was great um and so yeah eventually we do want to release what we shot there it's just such a long time ago yeah that's awesome huh. Damn. i think i'm thinking of uh there's like a kind of like strobing light thing that is supposed to induce like yeah. a spiritual experience like yeah it's called the vi- the violet maybe oh no not the violet um uh, it's, I'm blanking on it, but I just tried it. Oh, really? At, yeah, in LA, we were filming at a the Conscious Life Expo. Nice. Dude. And <laughs> the, the theme was 5D consciousness. Hell yeah! Like earlier in the year, and yeah, that that company had a, it's called the Lucia Light. Yeah, the one that we tried yes. in. Okay. That that company had demos, and like for twenty bucks, you could try it out, and you do um, you do have hallucinations but they're just kind of geometric shapes that are spinning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't quite, I did not feel like my state of consciousness was altered. Maybe if it wasn't, cause we were in, like we had noise canceling headphones, but it was such a loud like yeah. conference and uncomfortable chairs and it was hot. And um, maybe in different circumstances you could have a trip, but it's not really all that profound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting. I think I've heard of uh, some friends having some interesting experiences with it, but I'm sure they weren't oh. at like a crowded convention yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i go to this like uh new age expo sometimes up here and Ooh, what's it what's it called 
I think it's just like, what is it called? It's like the Allentown or like the Pennsylvania holistic expo or something, but it's just, you know, tables and tables in like this whole complex full of uh, tarot readers, you know, uh, homeopathy, like people. And so I love that. Mm. It's, it's amazing. But you, you sit there and you're like, you're trying to get like a tarot reading or something. And it's like, there's just this roar of people. So it's kind of like a, a very strange environment to have like, a sort of like McDonald's <laughs> version of a spiritual experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, yeah, they have like, have you ever had that aura machine take a picture of you? Yes. Yeah. At the very same conference, I, I got my aura <laughs> yeah. photograph, which is kind of, it's a cool image, but it seemed yeah. to be doing the same image for almost everybody. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I think like, there's like some, I was looking into it. I was like, what if I bought one of these? Uh, they're extremely expensive. And the Polaroid machine that they were built to use, like they don't make the film for it anymore. So now the oh. film is like extremely expensive too. So yeah. when I was at the the place, they were just doing like printing it out of like an HP printer instead of like a cool <laughs> little. So at, yeah, that moment might have passed. Or is yeah, it's it's similar. Fade. I did, I didn't get the the classic Polaroid. Sadly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What I was. I follow you on Instagram, of course. Mm. So I, uh, I see you kind of like go to these conferences and stuff. Do you always do that like out of a sort of for like a project in mind? Or do you kind of just go to see the sites? Certain ones are definitely project only, like the Red mm. Pill Expo mm. yeah, that yeah. we recently went to would not, you know, <laughs> have gone on my own accord. Um, but then others like this Rice University, like the Archives of the Impossible conference, which... Yeah. It's not, you know, I think it's more like legit and academic. Um, I go, you know, for fun primarily. And then I would go to a UFO convention for fun. Sure. Uh, I just haven't yet. Um, and then the, even the conscious life thing, I would probably like check out. So for the most part, it's just, I don't know, it's, it, there's lots of sights and sounds and interesting people and costumes and you, you meet. Yeah. Uh, characters have some enlightening conversations so i think it's it's kind of like just extreme experience you know in mm. a few days or a day yeah you get like a year's worth of your uh, fringe culture right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah what was what was going on at the the red pill extravaganza whatever it was it's it's like a boomer conspiracy conference yeah and it's they're real classic, like the enemy is still communism. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> That's still the big scare is has come around back to communism and uh, like LGBTQ people are. Yeah. They're real with the sprinkling of Jews or maybe mm. Jews are behind all of them. But um, yeah. that was, yeah, the main thrust was, was communism. Some kind of because the whole the pandemic COVID stuff is kind of even though they're still grasping tightly to the narrative it's you know not as as engaging anymore mm. um so but there were still some presentations like the you know mrna vaccine is actually snake venom mm. was a presentation there was one on how like all the last major wildfires weren't actually fires yeah of course mm -hmm. um there is a lady who i don't did you ever see my short uh conspiracy cruise it's yeah like a narrative yeah so in that in it uh my character he's giving a powerpoint presentation and 
this one lady's presentation at this conference, like slide for slide, like uh, matched my <laughs> lampooning <laughs> caricature yeah, awesome. of it. Um, yeah, that was, that was, and then, and then, yeah, kind of red scare stuff and um, like pedophile grooming, like panic stuff as well. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's, that's big right now. I guess that kind oh, of. And can- cancer cures is a big Right. Thing. Cancer yeah. cures. Yeah. That's, was that, did that play a role in, uh, in the D's documentary? Was he doing something like that? He, yes. Yeah. There was the machine that he was using. Yeah. Um, but he didn't really talk too much. He didn't mention that he had been diagnosed with cancer yeah. in, the, right. in the doc. Um, but he was self-treating himself by drinking baking soda. Hmm. Huh. Wow. It's because he watched a YouTube video that said cancer can't live in an like, alkaline environment. So uh. you drink baking soda. And then at this conference, the cure being touted was um, the apricot kernel seeds, which contain cyanide naturally. Uh-huh. And so you kind of build, it's like exercise, you know, it's like a bit of damage, like makes you stronger. So I see the cyanide containing apricot kernel pills, the more you like build up your tolerance and eat more and more of these, um, it fights off the cancer in your body. That's interesting. I mean, it's funny cause it's like not all that different than what like, uh, chemotherapy is, chemotherapy yeah. is sure. but which is why I guess it's probably convincing because it yeah. was well, like the same logic, I guess, but that, you know, obviously they don't really is, see it that way, but right. Yeah. <laughs> it's Weird. interesting. You did uh, two documentaries about, you know, artists who also have kind of yeah. these insane worldviews um, or experiences, um, but both very prolific artists and, and, mm-hmm. and very talented as well. Um, it's kind of like yeah. this, this niche, like a, can you keep that going? Is there, is there more? Well, they, yeah, there's this couple whom I love, who I've just seen on Instagram. They're called Ginger James Studio. Have you seen them? Mm. No. Um, it's just this, this, they're like in their 60s or 70s, and they've created a um, this science fiction world that they live in, like another planet, another dimension, like the planet Zorg, I think. And they're these sci-fi characters in their videos and they're completely uh absorbed and operating like within this world like even when i emailed them they're like hello like greetings from planet zorg and you know we're we're worried about um you know uh terrestrial pathogens at this point because our immune systems aren't used to them and they're just talking about covid basically but yeah yeah. uh i i kind of want to do a a doc about that couple yeah um and then there was another artist in the in the Bay area, Rocky angel. And he's, mm-hmm. he's a, like a nudist, um, wrestler and Raiders fan, theremin player and, um, outsider. Yeah. Painter. Cool. Um, and he writes poetry as well. And he just kind of walks around. I mean, it's not that crazy or it used to not be that crazy in the Bay area to have someone walk around, but he naked, but he, usually has like elaborate face paint on and a matching bandana. And he's just there in Oakland, like pumping his gas, like totally naked. Cool. That sounds Um, like he's got a, yeah, yeah, he's, he's got a great vibe. He's really chill and he's like always channeling the extraterrestrials. Nice. So I do, I would like to kind of keep that going. Not as like the only thing I do, but I do like doing these um, outsider 
ish artist portraits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I love that stuff. So I, if you kept doing that, I would, you know, you should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, I was at the the Philomoca screening of Love oh, cool. and Saucers, and I oh, got awesome. the, I got one of the yeah. one of the Huggins paintings. And it's which like, painting did you get again? Uh, it's when the the Greys are walking in the door, and he's sitting up in bed. With oh like yeah, moonlight. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I love that uh, one. I have one like because that one's kind of part of a sequence, and I have yeah. um, the one in that sequence when he's floating up into the craft. Uh, yeah. Up, yeah, up in my on my wall right here. Yeah, they're incredible. Uh, yeah. I, but that's yeah, a classic I, that you got there. I know it was. <laughs> it was such a lucky, like, yeah. wonderful little like event. Like I, I talked to him for a few minutes, and he was just like such a like seems like it's such a kind person i imagine it was a good yeah. experience shooting yeah. with him yeah i i really wish i had gone to that it looked looked like a great time and some people like one guy i know bought like 10 paintings Ooh. there yeah. and uh, i wish i, I did that <laughs> yeah yeah philomoca is great i've never been to an actual event there but i visited uh Eric at one point nice yeah um yeah i actually had a it's strange i had a friend who was um like one of David Huggins' neighbors. Um, oh, so, yeah. So he actually oh, had yeah. like a couple of the paintings that Huggins Whoa. had like trashed, um, and said that it, like at one point there was like a lot of paintings on the street. But yeah, they just said he was like a very nice guy in the neighborhood. He was trashing them. Yeah, like a lot of them at one point. I, I this must have been like a long time oh ago God. because yeah, because when I went into when I first met him in person and went into his studio, it was probably two hundred canvases and like yeah. he could barely move in that room so and i think his ex-wife whom he still lives with maybe was like david you got to get rid of some of these because i'm sure yeah you can't move around the house anymore and so he's yeah i could totally see him just throwing them <laughs> what the a great thing to find the yeah yeah that's Did he keep them i remember you told me about that yeah too. he had one in his apartment in new york and I think it was one of the like round table ones with like the druidic looking robed figures. Um, mm. I can't totally remember, but that's, I think that's what it was. Um, and he's sold all of his, his paintings now. There's not like, he doesn't really? have any left. He just that's has amazing. a few wow. non ET. He has like 10 non ET like landscapes and still lives and stuff, but he got cleared oh. out. Like there's, there's um, someone I know who bought 40 Wow. of them oh. but more more so with the intention of uh like preserving and exhibiting and yeah um not hoarding yeah that's awesome right. his his, his uh, like worry is just that if david passes you know his his ex-wife isn't doesn't really uh was never really into his contact paintings and who knows what would happen to those they might have just gone in the garbage so sure yeah 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 that's great when i was uh working on like the Eugenia Maser story stuff. Like it's just, it's crazy with like these artists who are kind of like outsider artists or whatever, like how close their stuff is always to being just like destroyed and thrown away. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah and I mean, I guess Huggins kind of has like a, I mean, if he sold all of them and like, he's kind of like a legend at this point. Right. In a way, it's still like, I don't know, pretty unknown, but I did, I walked into a, um, this like a DVD store slash horror museum in Chicago, Graveface. Um, 
And I guess like I didn't remember or realize they had a whole Huggins like art gallery and exhibit in there that had about like five or six paintings that were on loan and told the story of the film and they had painted a mural. And it's like, oh, I guess this is this is kind of like the most like in the public mainstream. Like if you just walk off the street, Main Street in Chicago, you can see his work. Mm. Totally. Yeah, I guess it helps that they're like really aesthetically like. Yeah. Good well executed paintings and they they look great it would be interesting if they were kind of like more traditional uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. brute outsider art or something like that but yeah yeah um, another obviously like an artist who didn't start painting doing those it seems like it seems like he yeah for sure. worked up to that i don't know is that true like he was trained in art right he was uh not rigorously like he he yeah took classes at the art students league so it's not exactly like a formal artist's education but he took like still life classes and and things like that so he did he learned some skill but not rigorously and his he's done like like the one that you have the painting you have he probably did like three versions of that before settling like this and the other three would have been very crude like i've seen very crude versions of of like all of these paintings. So he would do them again and like try and get better. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah. That's, it's insane to me how cheap he was selling them for at that event. Like, I know it's now. sad. I was taught, you know, I, I told him like, please don't, <laughs> don't sell them for this little. And he just, whenever anyone asked to buy them, he, and they say how much, and he just goes, well, how much do you want to spend or how much do you have? And then they're just like a few hundred dollars. And he's like, yeah, that sounds yeah. good. And yeah, yeah. so, and I think he get he get kind of gets taken advantage of. And um, I mean, it's some real, like truly affordable <laughs> original oil paintings. Yeah. I know. Um, uh, but yeah, he should, they should. And then, and then when people go and sell them like on the secondary market, they go for like, you know, thousands yeah. of dollars yeah, yeah that's, i'll never yeah, that's unfortunate. never gonna sell mine but unless something yeah. terrible happens but yeah it's like yeah no that's a treasured piece for sure mm-hmm. i i don't know um so he's, he's he's done painting right i heard that yeah somewhere. he's just stopped because it was getting unsafe like he was mm. you know oil paint is both uh, those materials are both flammable and uh kind of you know, toxic mm. and yeah. he didn't have any ventilation he was smoking. He had like lit, you know, cigarettes that he'd forget about near like flammable material. And eventually, his um, his ex was like, "Yeah, you can't, you can't be doing this here anymore." And so he's just been doing charcoal. We got him a like a watercolor set, but he hasn't just. I don't know. I think he's kind of just too tired and old, yeah. and he's just kind yeah. of given it up. Which I'm I'm so glad that we got to, you know, make this doc before. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff. that happened mm-hmm. um i'm curious like uh have you ever has there ever been like a place that has kind of drawn you into it as subject matter as opposed to like a person or um yeah well we did it's unreleased but we did a um this episode like a pilot for a tv show that's related to folklore. We did an episode in Mount Shasta, California. Mm, right. And that's like one of those, I haven't been to Sedona, but it's like a similar spot where that's like a energy vortex that becomes a confluence of like every kind of new age, um, belief oh, yeah. and worldview. And that like every other person you meet in that town is kind of like has magical thoughts and is a magical 
being of a sort. Cool. And it feels, you feel very heightened when you're there too, because it's the mountain air. It's so beautiful all around you. The water, it's supposedly like the cleanest water in the world comes from Mount Shasta. Um, so that place was particularly, yeah, uh, kind of otherworldly for me. That's awesome. Yeah, we did an interview. I would, I would totally go back there too. Nice. Yeah, I, I went to Sedona and it was like, mm-hmm. I don't, it wasn't, I was just kind of going to check it out, you know, and we went to the vortexes and stuff like that, which the nature is amazing, but the town yeah. itself is is kind of underwhelming in that way. Um, I thought um, it almost felt more like a kind of like a shopping center village of, of the new age <laughs> or something like that. Um, well, that's what yeah. Roswell is like for aliens. Yeah. yeah. There. <laughs> I mean, the muse, the Roswell museum is pretty great though. Like it's that's incredible. Yeah. The, the, the plaques or the didactics, like they seem like they're written by like a five-year-old like they're they're just littered with like grammatical errors spelling errors words are jumbled up and like you're trying to follow the story which is so fascinating but the comprehension level of the of the the written stuff is so poor i wonder who did it yeah (laughs) curious uh but yeah i i love that roswell museum um but in shasta which is like a town of i think three thousand, there's like nine crystal shops. Mm, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. high density of crystal shops. Maybe the highest in the world. Here, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, true. Uh-huh. Uh, we did we did an interview with uh, Aiden Wachter. Have you ever read his stuff? I don't think so, no. He, um, he's written a book, like a recent book on like hyper sigils and stuff and kind of that territory mm. of like truth fiction and um, manifesting through writing and such. But he had a crazy Shasta experience where... Oh, yeah, that kind of um, that inner world, that inner city, that kind of like Shambhala um, thing that is described from believers of Shasta. He he's yeah. kind of like saw it at the uh, the top, and it, yeah, I mean it's, it was kind of like a dreamlike experience or something. But um, yeah, it was interesting. I I believed his uh, what he saw, you know, yeah. Yeah, and someone we interviewed for this this Shasta documentary, he was sort of the the historian slash skeptic in in the doc, and he kind of debunks everything, like the 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 source for all of the myths. But he himself has had like a mind blowing <laughs> mystical experience up there that he doesn't yeah. really talk about. But he's like, I don't even. He's like my, you know, I'm a skeptic, so I like try and just he can't explain it, so he just tries to forget about it. That's crazy. But that's yeah. how, yeah, that's how potent Shasta is for mystical experiences. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen the the film Beyond Lemuria? The I have it on DVD. I mean, w- watching it would be uh, <laughs> too t- too strong of a, a a word, but like I I skimmed it. Yeah. I watched scenes. Um, it's yeah big fan it's great well i, I love uh i'm like obsessed with like the the shaver mythos yeah yeah, yeah. so that is uh it's, no matter how poorly it's represented in a film i feel like i'll still love it you that know? that yeah. is it's yeah it's a special work of art and there's that um yeah. that dominatrix like daros yep. uh-huh. lady in there <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah some, it's great. Some powerful still images extracted from that mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Poke Runyon. Um, yes. Have yeah. you ever checked out his stuff? I did, I did a little bit. I haven't like read his works, but I 
researched him a little bit. Yeah, I like I like him. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's great. awesome. He's got a um, a documentary on uh, like ceremonial magic. I guess kind oh, of like yeah. the lesser key I, I of watched, Solomon like, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I watched some clips from that, which which were fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one. He's like a, a breed of person that doesn't exist anymore. Like mm-hmm. this, like this, uh, it's just like a showman kind of, I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah. Like I, I, he could be, uh, I guess he kind of reminds me of like a stage magician, which is interesting. Def, yeah. 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 You're right. He's got a Vincent price kind of flair. Right. For sure. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's exactly who he is. Yeah. He narrates yeah. that one. Like he's, in the back of a cave like around a cauldron or nice. something. It's great. <laughs> um I wanted to ask uh is there any um like historical figure from kind of paranormal history that you wish you could have uh uh worked with and and filmed and presented their story? That's <laughs> a tough one. Um I mean, not not really. He's not a. Uh, sorry, I have to. Uh, do not disturb my phone. Um, but I would. I would have loved to just met and and chilled with Robert Anton Wilson. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. for sure. Yeah, more than. Is anybody there a film else. about him? I like don't. A... I don't know. Yeah. I don't think a not a very good one. I yeah. Don't think. yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of yeah. a lot of dope YouTube edits. Yeah. Though. Oh, Krishnamurti would have been cool to yeah to me for sure for sure yeah yeah. His story is crazy. Yeah. Like yeah. Oh man, going from like the chosen boy of the Theosophist to like yeah, like talk about a a, a life that should be made into a film. Yeah. 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 For yeah. sure. I was actually talking to this this uh, a producer friend who who did The Witch. Mm, he yeah. produced The Witch yeah. and yeah. He's like, he's like, if I ever, you know, like a passion project for me, it would be like the Krishnamurti story. Whoa. Mm, that would mm. be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would watch that. Mm. Yeah. That's a wild. I tale. guess there's, there's a Gurdjieff movie. There's like the. Yes. Uh, uh, with Extraordinary it? Men or something. Yeah, uh, That's, that's actually a decent movie. It <laughs> like, is. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like you could, someone could pull off a Krishnamurti movie. <laughs> like, I feel like yeah. it could be done. Yeah, yeah. epic. Yeah. And of course, you would get Ben Kingsley to play Krishnamurti. Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a tough role to. Catch. It is, and you'd have to you'd have to it would have to kind of be through the years too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's a good answer. Both of those people, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we both just watched these, uh, at least uh, one Gray Barker documentary, right. and I mentioned that to you yeah. before we recorded. And he's like, I feel like he would have been a good subject as well. Um, yeah, maybe a trickster. I feel like he, yeah, he's someone mm-hmm. who might like turn the documentary around, like on you though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's like, uh, yeah. There's Shades of Gray is the recent one, and then there's Whispers from Space, which is this like crazy black and white like art house like mm-hmm. film um was albert bender in that one i don't think he was in either i think he's uh he must have died jim mosley is who's like yeah. Gray's like partner in crime okay um and like a lot of those those guys no i don't i actually don't know what happened to al bender 
But something about it makes me think he had like a tragic end or something. He died, I think, in his 60s. I think it was just like heart failure, but... Well, tragic enough. Yeah. Did you you read um, uh, The UFOs and the Three Men? Oh, yeah. Okay. The, the, I mean, it just really seems like Gray is, is like fucking with him mostly yeah. and <laughs> just yeah. egging on his, his already like mystical proclivities. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's the scene in like the Mothman prophecies book, not the movie, but where Keel gets a, a phone call yeah. from, from Gray Barker mm-hmm. and it's like, it is Gray Barker, but he's talking weird. And then he asks Gray about it the next day, and he's like, "Well, that wasn't me." Like, yeah, yeah. But it's sort of, <laughs> it's like kind of played off in the book as like, "Well, it was like, uh, yeah, sort of weird, like doppelganger type experience." But I don't because Keel was his own kind of kind of like, yeah. yeah it makes uh, you wonder how much Keel was in on the joke too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that era of like the Saucerian stuff, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that era of ufology is just full of these like larger than life characters who, I mean, do we, I don't know if ufology has that so much today. Like there's kind of like, what do you think of like the whole sort of like current whistleblower kind of like David Grosh, like Elizondo? Yeah. I just, I guess there's this, uh, this knee jerk reaction uh, against anyone who seems too polished mm. and like mm-hmm. media trained and Grush seems so like when you watched him congressional hearing, like he's, he was so well put together and, and almost, yeah. Like he was kind of trained to be that way. Yeah. Um, so I got, I'm more skeptical with him, but then uh, Graves mm-hmm. seemed, and he seemed pretty genuine. I think, I think some of these reports are, are very genuine. And then you have people who are trying to make a name for themselves. You have the government who's obviously going to be doing some obfuscation going on. Um, Mm. There could be multiple different things happening at the same time or phenomenon. So I think it's, it's like too much to, to even really have an opinion on Mm. at this point. (laughs) I think it's just like, it's, it's like a misdirected energy. (laughs) Yeah. Sadly, because I, you know, I want to know, but I feel I still feel like we're never going to know in our lifetime um whatever is if the government is is hiding things, we I just don't think it's the truth will come to light. Right. Mm-hmm. As as someone who like is among friends like known as someone who cares about like UFOs, <laughs> I'm often like asked like what do you think of all this like UFO yeah. stuff happening now? And I'm like, I don't want to think about it. And I don't want to talk yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like, it's crazy. Cause like, I don't know if it's like a oversaturation thing. I don't think so. I, mm. I, it just genuinely feels kind of like a dud. And like that is like uh deflating kind of. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's I still bit... just, uh, yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, no, you go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I still like, love the the dimension hopping um yeah uh hypothesis that it's not from somewhere far away but from kind of like right here but from a different type of dimension and that it's it's uh beings that can travel through somehow have figured out how to travel through and and into other dimensions in the same space or maybe in different times um but i i like that because there's this you know very ethereal nature to it all and slippery and trickstery and 
Yeah. Yeah. Betwixt, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 It's it, that, it's almost like. Yeah, it totally lends itself to the the folklore, but also like kind of the language of quantum physics and stuff like that too. So yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting though how that the interdimensional thing is starting to pop up in the the language of people who were seemingly originally like nuts and bolts characters, you know, are now kind of like shifting the the shape of the phenomena a little bit. Yeah, and the interdimensional hypothesis has been around since like the late 40s. Yeah. Even. I think all the hypotheses have been around since then. We haven't really come up with anything new or better. Yeah. Uh, I It's hard to. I mean, it uh, kind of covers all the bases. Yeah. It seems like the nuts and bolts thing is a good way to get some people on board, you know, and then uh, slip them the interdimensional yeah. stuff a little later. I think I like this Avi Loeb character. The, oh, yeah. the Harvard uh, astrophysicist too. He's he's um. You know he funded an expedition to Papua New Guinea to to trawl the ocean floor to find remnants of of an interstellar object that he knows crashed there. Mm. And they found some spherules, which are like these kind of. Uh, have you seen them? The photos of these things are just like. I think so. Just like little balls. Yeah, yeah. and as well as some like what seem like kind of wire shavings and Abby's yeah. like, yep, this is proof. And but I don't know if it's, <laughs> he might be moving Weird. a little fast, but <laughs> I kind of like, yeah, he seems like he's a contrarian and he's a true, I'm not, but he's, he's a true nuts and bolts And I just like, he's kind of committed to that. And he's like, I only care about, I don't care about photos or videos or anything. I want objects. Mm. Like, that's all mm. I care about. And that's all that matters is actual objects. Yeah. I respect yeah. the pragmatism there. Sure. Um, yeah. The, the metamaterial stuff is yeah. interesting. I mean, it's kind of hard to make heads or tails of it, but certainly I've seen people talk about it, and yeah, it seems very interesting. It seems like it's also, mm-hmm. whatever it is, it seems to be uh, um, kind of like infecting science and stuff like that. And it was mm-hmm. in the, there was something with like a, kind of a um, creation of some like crazy new material i forget and it seemed to be correlated but I'm, oh, there's LK so much 99 yeah there's Is like you see so much stuff every day uh, now it's like kind of hard mm. to keep track of like every uap related thing yeah <laughs> did you read that book american cosmic oh uh, by uh, pasolka no i didn't um i was kind of on the fence on whether i should or not it's worth at least reading. Um, okay. Where she's ended up, like in the culture of all this stuff, is yeah. very interesting, given like what that book is sort of positioned as. And I think like I don't maybe Oxford put it out or something like that. Yeah. Like it was a like the university press. Um, but yeah, her whole kind of uh, yeah the the role she's playing in it has become like much less clear than like the sort of like scholar of relig- like as like Kripal does, like kind of like coming at it from like a religious scholarly tradition she's kind of now almost like a spokesperson for like a certain wing of like this thing yeah and there's there's also you know linda moulton howe who started off like as a very respectable like journalist and and tv documentary maker winning emmys and stuff and and now like i went to a talk of hers at this conscious life expo and it's it's you know it's really out there uh it's like the most bizarre convoluted fantastical and she's like i heard from a source you know it's like secret space program stuff and 
Uh, yeah. Probably Richard Doty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. A lot of secondary sources and stuff yeah. with her stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say recently, but it's been like 20, 25 years. <laughs> yeah. I guess like right. the cattle mutilation stuff was her kind of like first breakthrough right. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the Pasolka huh. book is interesting. It kind of like, it's shifting that like Jungian UFO religious narrative thing, I think a lot. And it, it seemed like a lot of the stuff that was coming out with the disclosure stuff, it seemed to be like a, an inflection point or something, that book. Um, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's, some of it is, is actually pretty um, hard to believe in there, the but there's kind of like crash recovery stuff, reconnaissance stuff in there and whatnot. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and also similar kind of figure where maybe she's on this trajectory is Leslie Keen, like how, yeah, mm. as well, very respected New York times journalist and more and more is reporting on and focusing on uh, fringe phenomena and to the level where now, you know, breaking stories and journalistic endeavors into not quite as reputable outlets and I'm wondering if she's going to go down. Like she's starting to get kind of picked apart now by the skeptic. Yeah. 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 Community. Yeah. Yeah. She's the other guy was one. Blumenthal, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know much about him. I think he, I think he wrote like the biography of John Mack. Okay. Hmm. I think that's the same guy, but he also, right. It was the involved in that 2017, like first. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there seems to be some kind of like premeditated direction with Leslie Keene stuff. It seems like hyper focused or something. Uh, right. Yeah. It's, this brand of disclosure or something. Um, so, are there any subjects that you have your eye on for the future or any kind of like fringe topics? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my producer friend and I were we've been pitching um, a mockumentary series called forbidden archeology span <laughs> that, that would be like a, a hybrid fiction and nonfiction mashup of that world of the forbidden archeology, span ancient aliens esque world. And we want, do you know, Matt Berry, that comedian? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we want him to be the host as himself, as someone who is a forbidden archeologist. Like that's that his passion. Good. Yeah. So that's one, that's one thing. And then we're working on a, feature film that's portraits of conspiracy theories kind of like D's, yeah. but expanded. And I've got this, I am a correspondent for QAA, the QAnon anonymous podcast, but now I've launched a mini series um, mm. within that. That's talking about all of these topics that we've been talking about. It's um, uh, just outer edges of reality, but, but like yeah. true tales, but not sure what the explanation for them are. So I'm doing the next one. The one I'm writing right now is um, the Sakura. Or Socorro. Oh, nice. I don't know how yeah. you pronounce it. Yeah, so cool. Sakura or Socorro. Um, that case. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, but like half of it is going to focus on, on Ray Stanford, the guy who like wrote the book itself. Mm. Cause he's such, he is such a fascinating <laughs> character. He's a good deep dive. And then a cryptozoology documentary. I'm also awesome. Damn. Working on. That's really yeah. sick. Yeah. yeah but these stuff. things I know, but like the cryptozoology ones, like we've been trying to get it, funded you know for like seven years like it just talks like yeah. just gonna take that long and so you have to have 10 things going to have one thing actually happen right right, right. yeah 
has that brought you like um to some crazy places i imagine because you got to be hopping is it just broadly cryptozoology like yeah we're like usual we're gonna we're focusing on the cryptozoologists and their stories and we we've only shot like a bit for that one because we need we need funding but we've we've just kind of stuck to we we did champ and scott martis the yeah the late scott martis who was the champ researcher researcher we did also the late um the um Linda Godfrey, who did the Dogman, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dogman, Lauren Coleman um, wow. <laughs> of the International Cryptozoology Museum. We did Lyle Blackburn just a little bit, who's the Boggy Creek monster specialist. <laughs> nice. And yeah, we just want to keep going like around the world, um, do some expeditions. Super That's cool. Crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> you got to speak with uh, Linda Godfrey because she I know. just passed, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and she was she was already kind of getting into rough shape when we mm. started filming with her. But we, we, yeah, she's was a pretty special person. Do you yeah. like get to eat, like eat lunch with these people? Like, well, mm. what are they, like when you're like, I mean, on. David D's made us a uh, fish tacos when we got there. That's really? awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are they like, what are they like when they're not like on like the, like on their Just mode? exactly the same. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's so Just cool. exactly. Well, David D's was interesting because most of the time he wouldn't, he wasn't talking about conspiracies. He was talking about his cats, his bunnies, mm. like art, um, nature, like just nice stuff. And then yeah. there's a small percentage of time where he would just get like um, consumed by a thought. And mm. and it was usually around like that all celebrities are trans. And so he would just keep talking about that. Um, like oh. Elvis was a woman. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger was a woman. Marilyn Monroe was a man. And he was just like was on this loop about it. You'd think like eventually one of them wouldn't be. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. No, yeah, <laughs> they were all yeah. Whoa, yeah, all of I didn't know. Guys. I didn't even Every know about that. Every single person in Hollywood, yeah, yeah. He conducted transvestigations wow. about them. Wow. Damn, yeah. It's a cautionary tale about screen time, but his his art yeah, is like that's so. What this all is yeah. Yeah, his art is like amazing though. Like just the aesthetics mm-hmm. of it are like there is kind of nothing like it. And I guess his like yeah. history is like a commercial artist and stuff too. It's funny because he, when when I was like, who who do you think you're most reminiscent of or inspired by? And he's like, well, Norman Rockwell. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, people say he's like people call me the new Norman Rockwell. I'm like, oh, you're. <laughs> I mean, maybe some elements, but you're doing a lot of different Whoa. things. Yeah, yeah. I could, I, there's oddly, uh, I work uh, in art and I could oddly okay. see that. Yeah. There's okay. something, there's something to that, but maybe I'm, I'm a little bit synchronistic. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm seeing too much of a connection there, but yeah, I, I could weirdly see that. Yeah. I mean, that's, it was, it was looking at a Norman Rockwell book of paintings that got David D's into art. That's so wild. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I guess in like some sort of perverted sense, it sort of is uh, a Norman Rockwell for our time. Yeah, yeah. In a way, yeah, yeah. There's some sweets like the Tom Sawyer suite and stuff of Rockwell that are like wild shit. Okay. Yeah, but that's pretty funny. Um, Cool. Love it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think this has been a fascinating conversation. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really enjoyed it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we look forward so to I guess... checking out what you got coming. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks a lot. Cool. All yeah, right. Cool. Great. I'll talk to you soon. I'll let See you know when it's, when it's like officially okay. up. Cool. cool. Thanks, guys. See you. See ya. Bye.
Uh, yeah, so I, I really liked the Gray Barker documentary. I hadn't seen it. I've been looking for that one forever, and then you sent it to me. I don't know how you found it. <laughs> I guess you're better. Well, I just, like, but, checked up on it, because um, I've been yeah. reading I've been reading through the Ray Palmer Shaver biography. Oh, I love um, that book. <laughs> and kind of, I've been looking at a lot of um, sci-fi films from, like, 40s, 50s, and 60s. You can find this episode in its entirety and more exclusive content at patreon.com slash consensusunreality.